Well, hello, White Sox fans. Welcome to another edition of Future Sox Live. My name is Ian Eskridge. I am joined tonight by Mr. James Fox. How you doing, James? Good, sir. One day delayed because of the Super Bowl. I think uh, this this makes a little bit more sense than going on the air last night. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Uh, you know, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't a you know sort of exciting sort of exciting game. Um, you know. Yeah, the end the end was cool. Like the fourth quarter in OT was awesome. You know, yeah, the first three quarters were a little little slow. <laughs> and I love at the end when nobody nobody knew the rules or like what was happening. Like people just. Like, why are they lollygagging? They're going to run out of time. And it's like, yeah, no, it wasn't really explained very well that it's just like a new game, basically. Yeah, that was that was not well done. Uh, I mean, it's it, when, you know, it's different in one game from, you know, most of the rest. It's it's kind of weird. So, uh, yeah, so um, this week, list, 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 list. Uh, we've got Kylie McDaniel put out his top 100. He put out his uh, team top 28s. Uh, we have Keith Law with his top 100. He has not done his White Sox list yet, uh, which I'm looking forward to seeing. Um, and we also have the NRIs, which we'll get to a little bit later. Uh, let's just hop in on the Kylie McDaniel top 100. Mm-hmm. Um, he was an early adopter of the Colson Montgomery way up top in the list. And this year we have him at number eight. And he mentions that he might be a third baseman, but he's fine where he's at. They just let him do his thing, and he comped him to Gunnar Henderson. Uh, your thoughts on on his placement? Yeah, so I, I mean, Kylie's always like kind of been the high guy on on Colson, and he kind of just like talked about how stupid the whole thing was, like that he was a nineteen year old. Now he doesn't think it's dumb in every case, right? And I think even like recently, he he was on with Connor McKnight this weekend, and he brought up like Blake Rutherford. It's like a good example of an overaged California prep kid who scouts have seen for three years chewing up high schoolers you know that didn't really project very well but but like Colson wasn't that he was late onto the prospect circuit for baseball he was a basketball kid he played football he played multiple sports so you know 19 is 19 right but he was like a a young 19 with like a lot of growth still and he played in Indiana so yeah, that was that was one. It looks like the the White Sox got right. Um, you know, Ky- Kylie liked him even then. I remember like on ESPN, like him talking about that pick that night, thinking it was a good one. And if you you know if you look at all of these lists, Colson's right in there with that shortstop crop from that draft that you know everybody always kind of talks about. Your what your Lawler and Marcelo Meyer and like all those guys and you know. Some some prospect guys have him the highest of the bunch. So the you know I think the the one other really interesting thing about him ranking eighth, if you look at Kylie's list, there's a good chance that like two months from now, Colson's like one or two because all those guys are going to be in the majors this year. Yeah, we'll get to the other list, uh, which yeah. has a a little bit of a varying opinion, but uh, we'll move along. Uh, no Schultz, he has at fifty seven, calls him a, lo- a left handed Gumby. Um, now in my personal opinion, if I looked at Randy Johnson, that I would say was more like a Gumby type guy mm-hmm. to me, Noah Schultz looks like a normal guy, just really, really massive. Um, but, uh, he doesn't have a, 
doesn't have a bad word to say about no Schultz other than the fact that he didn't pitch a whole lot last year and that he needs to build an innings base this year. Um, I assume that at 57 that you think that that's a, a reasonable uh, reasonable spot. Yeah, and I think a lot of people have said like similar. I know Jim Callis has been kind of all over the place recently on podcasts and stuff, just kind of talking about if if like Noah Schultz is the best left-handed pitching prospect in baseball at midseason. Like none of us should be surprised. Like it's all it's all about innings. I mean, he's got to get to 70 innings or so, but I don't really think anybody cares like whether he gets hit, where he pitches, any of that. It's just like cuz he's going to be filthy wherever he is. He just needs that innings load. Um so yeah, pretty interesting. The the two times the White Sox have decided to, you know, splurge on a prep guy in the first round, it's uh it's seemingly working out okay for them lately. Yeah, it definitely seems that way. I mean, I can't uh I don't know. Every time I've seen the kid pitch, he's been amazing. Uh so you know, I'm I'm perfectly I'm very happy at where where he's ranked, um given the fact that he's only thrown what twenty seven innings in the uh you know, in his pro you know, career so far. What's up, 904? How you doing? Um, yeah, so uh, coming in at 90, we have a guy who's kind of been making his way onto these lists this year. Finally, uh, we, we kind of, at least as White Sox fans, kind of all felt that he was a little underappreciated. But uh, Brian Ramos makes his way in at 90. And uh, Kylie says that he's well-rounded and he's a little above average at everything. And I can, I can see where you would, you know, where that would be your, you know, assessment of what he does. It's, it's not like, I would say probably his, his power is probably his calling card, uh, but he plays a good defense and he does have a decent bat to ball. Your, your thoughts on Ramos? Yeah, I think, you know, he's always been young for the level. Um, That's good. Um, I do think, more power will come. I mean, look, the biggest knock has been he's hurt like a lot, like quite often. And it, it's nothing bad. He just, he gets nagging injuries and he misses time. And, you know, hopefully he gets to, to Charlotte this year uh, pretty quickly. And then, you know, I, you know, I, I would say that we'll see him if he does good in the minors, just because he's on the 40 man. And, you know, I guess the only other negative is that he hits right-handed, right? And it's not that big of a deal, but that's, like the one thing, but yeah, I mean, he's worked his way up onto this list. Um, we'll get into Keith Laws, but he's on that one. You know, he's been on some other ones in the past. You know, I th- I think uh, not. I, I, he's never been on at Pipeline, but you know, he's been right in this range, like in the system. My guess is just people getting some eyes on him in the Arizona Fall League might might have changed some opinions a little bit. Yeah, I asked Callis last year about why Ramos hadn't made it on the top one hundred yet. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, oh, so we got here, we got a question here. It says, uh, is there anything that he absolutely excels at that will project as his way to make it up to the majors? I mean, I would have to say it'd probably be a combination of defense and power, huh? Yeah, he's got power and I think he, he doesn't K a ton and he walks like enough. I think him, he like got his walk rate up over 10% in the minors last year, which is a, which was a big thing, right? He's not, he doesn't have the flaws of, some personal favorites, right? Lenny and Sosa and Jose Rodriguez. But even like seeing those guys come through, we always kind of said, look, like if the approach doesn't change, you know, like th- this could be ugly. And we're seeing it with prospect rankings. And I'm going off the board a little bit here, but like with Jose Rodriguez, I mean, he's just so aggressive. 
that I thought like eventually he's going to either have to change or he might be a utility guy because you just you just can't walk 3% of the time if you're not you know like absolutely like hitting a bunch of tanks. So, yeah, I think that's the difference with Ramos here. I mean, Ramos is right around like a 12% walk rate. I think his strikeout rate's under 20% and he does have 25 to 30 home run power potential. He just, you know, he's he's missed some time. So, He's an interesting one to follow. I think there is a debate for sure, like three, four, five in this system to me, and everybody kind of has these guys differently. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, I think I think for Popeye specifically, uh, I I'm really interested to see. And you know, we've got our uh, in the first what is it the first week of March we've got our top thirties coming out. Uh, all That's the plan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so we'll see about that. But uh, you know, I everybody's got uh, you know Popeye at different spots in their top thirties uh, that have him in the list. Teaser. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I, I, I'm he. This is going to be like the first year in what two years that he's starting healthy in a season. So, you know, you know, Lord willing, of course. Um, but. Uh, you know, I'm really excited to see what he can bring from the beginning of a season if he is healthy right from the get-go because, you know, yeah. we've seen, uh, what is I like a back thing or knee thing. I can't remember what it was yeah, two years ago, but he then broke, he had the hammock. He broke his hammock, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's just a bunch of stuff. And, like, you know, like I said a minute ago, he's on the 40, and if you look at the White Sox right now, Nicky Lopez – is very likely the the starter at second, I would think. Like, but he hits left-handed, so there's definitely a spot for a right-handed hitting infielder that can play second or short. And you have Sosa, you have Rodriguez, you have uh, Braden Shoemake for some reason on the forty man, and then you know you brought back Danny Mendick as an NRI, which we'll get to, and Remillard's around. So you know, there's just like a lot of options there. But Rodriguez is on the forty, and he's probably going to stay on the forty. Because, you know, like, I don't really, you know, think that they'll dump him unless they traded him for something. So, yeah, who knows? I mean, look, he has a I hate you'll learn this, Ian, if if you haven't really listened to me a ton. I hate spring training battles. I despise it because, like, I think like the stats and stuff are meaning like winning a job in spring training to me is absolute nonsense. But if he hits like 480 or something like maybe he's their utility guy. Who knows? Yeah, I'd say probably the only way that I actually think spring training battles matter is if you have two guys that you don't expect to do anything fighting for a position that you just need filled. And right. uh, yeah. I don't see that being the case so much, especially with the White Sox, because th- there have always been positions that are open that they just need to fill. So it, it's kind of like a, a big nothing yep. burger when it comes to spring training battles because you're just kind of apathetic about it, all, you know, altogether anyway. So, um, you know, because they don't want to sign anybody. Um, so here's here's a change from Kylie McDaniel is that he lists in – uh, along with his top 28 players, he also ranked the teams by quality and depth. And he said this year that the White Sox are 26th in quality of depth, which is a change from last year. I can't remember what it was last year, but I want to say it was more middle of the road than that. Um, what do you think changed? Do you think anything changed? 
Yeah, I mean, probably... I mean, if you've heard, like, his reaction to the two trades that were made, right, I think he thought those were, like, a little bit puzzling. He didn't really understand them. Um, he's also questioned, like, the Chris, the Chris Getz hire a little bit. And, look, I, we did, too. I mean, you know, I think he, he made a comment to Sox Machine, um, you know, just that, like, the the prerequisite for being the GM was, like, knowing Jerry Reinsdorf for 10 years, and that's not what he would do. But, I mean, yeah, like, we, we know that. Like, we know exactly what this is, right? And we've kind of talked about how, like, I don't know that this necessarily means that Chris Getz is going to be bad at this, but, yeah, I mean, it, it is what it is, right? So if you can't get past that, then you're going to have to just wait and see what they do, right? But, you know, something I find interesting so Kylie ha has their system ranked 20th, like just the system alone. Um, but after the trade deadline where Rick and Kenny were here and they made all these trades, like Kylie was on ESPN 1000 locally and kind of said that he liked the trades and that he'd ra he ranked the system like right around 12th. So it's all the same guys. Like something happened like between midseason and now where he dropped them from 12 to 20. So... You know, I found that a little bit interesting, even like considering, you know, some of the write-ups and where he has guys. Like we talked about Ramos. He also listed Caro at 105, um, you know. So, you know, you have four of the, the top 105. Like, it, you know, usually you're a little better than bottom third, but who knows? It's, you know, it's his list for a reason he's worked in front offices, so. You know, yeah. I I always enjoy his write-ups. Yeah, no, I, usually I, I find them to be, you know, very well done. However, uh, mm -hmm. I can't see how Christian Mena being traded would drop you eight spots because that's literally the only thing yeah. that's changed in the farm system. So uh, that is kind of strange. Um, are, are there any surprises to you? Uh, I don't want to give away the uh, – you know, uh, intellectual property of Kylie McDaniel. Um, but were there any, uh, any in the numbered order that you thought yeah. that were a little bit off? So, I mean, the one thing I'll say is like, I don't know why Dominic Fletcher is listed as not eligible because he is eligible. Um, you know, just for anybody like paying attention when our list comes out and he's on baseball America and the other ones, I mean, traditionally we look at like, um, like rookie status. So for hitters, it's 130, uh, at bats for pitchers it's 50 innings pitched or 45 days spent on the active roster he's done none of those three things he won't be on for long he won't be on our midseason um, but he'll definitely be on our preseason so I just think it's like a little bit weird that you know that he wasn't on this one um, he still has Gonzalez up at five which look I think most people will have him five six seven eight something in there he's he seems to be the low guy on the Strini um, and then he has leisure all the way up at nine and, and Baroa at 12. So, I mean, look, that might be the explanation there for your first question. Like why, how does he have the depth at 26th or whatever? Well, when you have definite relievers at nine and 12 in the system, you know, even if they're great, that's uh, it's not very good. You kind of want relievers toward the back of your list when you can. Yeah. And he's got speeds at 18 as well. So, I mean, it's just mm -hmm. got, you know, uh, and there's also been, thoughts by some of the you know national coverage guys that have said that Nick Nestrini could even possibly end up right. in a bullpen role as well so you know I could see how he would come up with that if 
you know, if you think that those couple of guys are that far up in the in the rankings, I could see how yeah. that would end up that way. Well, it seems um, like the guy that the guy that could pop that like we might not even see right away is Grant Taylor. I I feel like people are being very conservative with him, but then anything written about him is super positive, if that makes sense. Like, it's kind of like, oh, we're going to put him at 15, but he would have been a top 20 pick if he were healthy and he was great before, so who knows, right? So that's, like, one of those things where it's just, you know, all of a sudden he's, like, five or six at midseason. Like, nobody should be surprised. I don't know how I don't know how soon he's going to pitch, though. I'm, I'm not really sure on his timeline. Yeah, no, I haven't heard a word about him at all. Uh, as far as a, a health, you know, health timeline goes, um, yeah, I, I'd say that pretty much everything else is not really that far out of whack. Um, I kind of felt like Leisure and Burrow were a little bit higher than I would have thought, but uh, that's why we have different people making different lists. Um, so uh, moving on to Keith Law uh, over at the Athletic, uh, he says that the White Sox have a farm system ranked at number 10 so he's significantly higher which to me it's it's like kylie mcdaniel and keith law kind of swapped spots yeah you know because now yeah now you look and keith law has five white socks in the top 100 which before you know kylie mcdaniel was the one who was higher on white Sox prospects so i'm my head's kind of swimming when it comes to this whole yeah i'm not expecting Keith Law positivity <laughs> on the White well, Sox and, ever. Well, and the, th- the thing that I find interesting, too, is that he, so Keith, I think, is pretty good on position players. I think he's had a lot of high-profile misses on pitchers, and I think he would admit it. Like, I think he knows. Like, he, he looks for certain stuff in pitchers. He just wants big, strapping dudes that look the part, that have good deliveries, and that's pretty much what he ranks. I mean, he notoriously was super low on sale, and he even talks about it occasionally. Like, look, he he just would rather be wrong, you know, and have a guy be great than, you know, think that a guy's going to be good and, you know, be wrong the opposite way. He's he's totally fine with being wrong, like, if a guy ends up being awesome. So, but his hitter evals, I've, I've always thought were pretty good. So having three of the top 70 is pretty good, um, regardless of where he has Colson Montgomery, which has been a, a lot of questions for me this week from people. Yes, and if you have not seen Keith Law's top 100, he has Colson Montgomery ranked at number 42. Uh, there are the normal questions of whether he's going to stick at shortstop, uh, you know, and obviously yeah. there was the, you know, the health concerns last year and the fact that when he finally did come back, there was a little less of the... Uh, all fields approach. There was a little bit more of a, a pull happy type of approach, but you know when you start in high A, a level below where you start, you know where you finished the last year, I would assume that there's going to be a little bit of, uh, you know, there's not going to be a whole, there's not going to be a learning curve there. So he's just going to kind of go in there right. and murder it, and that's what he did. Uh, your thoughts on that? Well, and once again, I know you don't want to read like the whole proprietary thing, like on air and like you know i get it like everybody should subscribe to the athletic because the content's awesome but like if i were to not tell you where he ranked him and you were to read the write-up like i think the write-up's pretty exciting 
Like, okay. you know, I read it and I'm like, okay, that sounds about right. Like, I don't really care where Keith ranked him because, like, if Colson Montgomery goes back to double A and puts up a 900 OPS or whatever, like, you know, Keith will have him in the top 15 at midseason. Like, I think he's one of the guys that, you know, says that, you know, he, he's got a better than what 50% chance of staying at short, where a lot of people now have kind of said, oh, maybe it's third. He doesn't really care. He thinks he's going to hit regardless. So, um, I just, I just think the write-up was, was, was pretty promising because I think the things that you want to hear about are, are that, like the, the physical nature of the profile, and the chances of staying at short, and both of those things I, th I think were positive. So, you know, I knew when I, you know, I'm scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, and I'm like, oh God, where is he? What's he going to say? Like, right? Because, <laughs> yeah. you know. But then I'm like, oh, you read it and it. It, you know, it, it actually like makes quite a bit of sense. Yeah, there wasn't it wasn't a, a negative write up at all. That was that was the the strange thing, you know, is that when you look at somebody that you're used to seeing in top 10 on most of the other lists, you look at this one and see him at 42. You just automatically assume that he's going to be down on him. And that didn't seem to be the case at all, which was which was nice. Um, yeah, no, I think it was good. I think Keith, Keith saw him like a few times too, and he actually thought that he, you know, I think he's seen him like a few times in the past where I've read the write-ups, and he he thought he was pretty good at short. Um, I just think the injury kind of did did hurt him a little bit in the field. So we'll see. Yeah. Uh, so he has uh, Edgar Caro at sixty-seven. Uh, one thing that he did cite as the reason why he has him. You know, not that he that he has him bad, because when you look at all these guys, you can't really complain about any of them because he's got them in the top 100 and he's got five White Sox prospects in the top 100. So I'm not complaining by any means. Uh, just the kind of the one thing that he did mention was that in double A last year, Caro struggled with the power numbers. And you could certainly bring up the fact that the Angels skipped high eight altogether and just moved him up to trash city last year, which is just, yeah. was kind of, <laughs> I, I was, I was pretty shocked when I saw that he had just bumped straight through. Well, so it's an Artie Moreno thing. Like he, he doesn't really care about the low minors. I mean, for anybody paying attention, like all of their draft picks lately have been college guys and they send them right to double a essentially, and then bring them to the big league. So they did the same thing with Caro, you know, Caro hit, I think it was 17 homers the year before in low A, not even like high A. So they skipped him from low A to double. And look, he held his own. He had a 105 WRC plus in double A. He just, you know, he wasn't hitting for the power that he hit for. Um, and look, like when you're the White Sox, like it's weird, right? If you trade for him, we had this debate on this show, you know, with me and Mike and some others, like, you know, like when they acquired him, I didn't know if they'd send him to Winston or not. And I don't know. Like, I don't know if you can't do that because of like the psyche of a guy that you're telling is going to be your catcher of the future. Right. But, you know, they kind of left him at double. The one thing I would do now, though, is I would leave him in double A with Birmingham. I, I really hope that happens. I think it will just because of like seeing the way this roster is very likely to shake out with. Corey Lee and Hackenberg and Perez probably all in Charlotte. Carroll should go to double A until he forces his way to triple, and then you kind of clear some of those other guys out. But, you know, I think the big thing with Carroll and, like, looking at other people's rankings, and tell me if, like, you think this makes sense. Like, if you think he can catch, like, for sure, 
like I think he's probably a top 100 guy because he's you know he's a switch hitter, controls the strike zone regardless of like where or how much power he has. It's really a question of whether or not he can catch. Now, if you think he's like a first baseman or he can't catch for sure, then yeah, then he's not. You know, he might not even be a prospect at that point. You know, but so a lot of it does hinge on him catching and whether the evaluator thinks that that's like something that he's going to remain doing. Yeah, that's especially a thing when you look at Carroll and you try and project his power and you think that it's probably going to be somewhere between 15 and 22 home runs somewhere around there if, you know, in the major leagues, you know, at any point in time. Uh, Also, you know, there's been thoughts that maybe he put on a little bit too much weight last year and that was kind of hindering his, you know, defense behind the plate, which is also a thing to, to consider. So, I mean, also another thing to mention about the Angels is uh, Nolan Chenwell was drafted last year, uh, had something like 35 at-bats in the minor leagues, and then was taking at-bats with the Angels Big League Club uh, yeah. in a playoff run, nonetheless. And Zach Neto did the same thing the year before. So bizarre. Um, let's uh, 904 says Birmingham likely curbs his power numbers as well, but <laughs> yeah, it's not great <laughs> going to truest. Absolutely. So Seeing, he did only, I think he only hit five in double a with the angels too, though, I believe. Right. Yeah. I think it yeah. was something similar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 He struggled, uh, and played most of the year with trash city. And then he came over to, uh, to Birmingham and actually had uh, a spike in power better, production. Yeah. So, um, it might be just, uh, kind of one of those things where he was kind of feeling a little bit of pressure getting bumped up that quickly and trying to, uh, you know, do too much with, uh, and that's, yeah, like, thanks for the, the note there, but I mean, that it's like two ends of the spectrum with, and we'll get into that a ton this year, like on the show, but like Birmingham to, to Charlotte, you know, it's like one of them, like you're, you're talking about like all the power being suppressed at a park. And then in the other park, you might as well be playing in the Pacific Coast League. So, you know, it's it's absolutely staggering, like the difference between those two places. Yep. Uh, so uh, Ramos comes in at 69. Uh, nice. Nice. Uh, he did mention uh, with Ramos that the. Uh, abdominal issue that he had last year, uh, or was it a, a lat? I can't remember. I th- think it was abdominal. Um, I'd have to go back and look at notes, but uh, that that is something in particular that Ramos might need to really maintain due to the fact that the torque that he puts on his torso when he swings a bat is massive. So uh, any any thoughts on Ramos's placement there? No, I just you know I just like seeing him like on some of these lists. I mean, it's good. He's a top 70 prospect in baseball from Keith law. Like that's a, a guy that he thinks is a regular. So, cause he doesn't, you know, he doesn't rank utility guys and guys that he likes. Like these are, you know, Keith law is always kind of gone for upside. His list is very different than other lists. I think other, you know, other outlets really, they're consensus builders in like a lot of places and they reach out to teams and they kind of think, Hey, what does this look like? Like, how does this look type of thing? And Keith doesn't really do that. I mean, he obviously has sources and he talks to scouts and stuff, but you know, he's not, I don't think sending his list to the clubs to see what they think about it. Whereas some of some other outlets, you know, that's, that's a lot of what they do. Yeah. 
I would agree. I, I like the fact that he goes and compiles his own list and pretty much probably doesn't ask too many people much of anything other than asking a couple of scouts, you know, hey, dude, what do you think about this one particular tool? But then he goes and does all this stuff himself, which I do appreciate. Uh, coming in at 76, we have uh, a guy that we're not used to seeing on these lists. Nick Mastrini comes in, uh, says that there is a issue with his deception uh, just for the fact of his uh, mechanics. Um, he says that there is a possibility um, due to not having, you know, that plus-plus fastball getting up in the zone, the possibility that he might become uh, Lance Lynn of 2023 and give up a ton of home runs and says that there's also a possibility of the bullpen. Your feelings on that? Yeah, I mean, I think he can start because, you know, it's three pitches. Um, it's probably a plus change and a plus slider he puts in his write-up. So, you know, I mean, it's fastball command, right? I mean, Nick Nostrini's gone periods of time where he's walked five or six guys per nine. That's clearly not going to work. Um but it's not like it's a third pitch issue, right? Like usually your guys that end up being in the bullpen, it's because of that third pitch, they just can't figure it out. It's like Michael Kopak, right? Like with him, he's got three pitches. He's just, he's got to throw strikes. So I think this is one of those times where, look, and I know people have like gotten on me this year because I said like, oh, I trust the White Sox, which is stupid. But in this particular case with pitchers, like I trust Brian Bannister is what I would say. So you know, so we'll see there if they can just fix some of the issues with repeatability and some of his wildness. And yeah, I mean, you're looking at probably like a mid-rotation starter because it's really, really good stuff. Yeah, the thing about, I mean, the Bannister thing is so promising seeing what he did over in San Francisco. And, you know, I just, there are certain things with certain pitchers that, you know, if he can manage to, you know, say, get uh, some of those guys to do some of the things that they were doing before, you know, some of the Jared Schuster's and, uh, you know, stuff that's going on in the, on the major league club. If he can manage to kind of harness those things and get those things all headed back in the right direction, um, I can only imagine what he's going to be able to do with a guy that's like Nestrini, which I've said that if nothing else, even if Nestrini doesn't manage to become, you know, a, top-of-the-line starter, mid-rotation starter, back five. If nothing else, he's going to be a great coach because that guy is super into analytics and uh, into pitch shaping and working in the pitch lab. And it's, you know, listening to him talk about his romance with pitching is is something else. It's pretty awesome. Uh, coming in at he 79. Oh, you got something else? Well, no, and just like we have an interview with him for, with Elijah from last year that was pretty good. And, mm -hmm. you know, he was in that Dodger pitching factory, man. Like, I don't even – like, I cover the draft pretty extensively, and I don't even remember him at UCLA. And it's just your typical Dodgers fourth-round college guy that they turn into a guy good enough to trade for something that they need. So it's just they, – they do it every year. They do. They are they are an impressive, uh, <laughs> impressive organization when it comes to dealing with the farm system. Uh Coming in at number 79, Noah Schultz, um, you know, again, cited health and pen questions. Um, and, you know, I've also heard things about, uh, you know, his, you know, uh, mechanics being a little bit, a uh, little bit maybe not repeatable. But the thing that I, when I look at him, he looks fluid and looks like he's got his stuff together. So um, your feelings on the uh, placement there? 
Yeah, so it's just kind of what we talked about earlier with Keith, right? Like, I'm actually kind of surprised that he ranked him personally just because of, like, his history. Like, he'd rather be wrong, right, than, like, he'd rather just say, yeah, like, I I didn't trust, like, the... Because he falls back on, like, a lot of normed-based, like, stuff, right? So, like, guys 6'9 or taller, like, aren't usually that successful. Now, he doesn't look like a 6'9 guy on the mound when he's pitching. He really doesn't. Like, the extension's insane, and he looks like a more fluid, like, 6'6 lefty when he's actually pitching. Like, he's imposing, but he doesn't look unorthodox when he's doing it. You know, Keith does write that, you know, you can see the number one starter upside or even top-end reliever potential. Um, But like we talked about with Noah, it's 27 innings so far. So, you know, if he gets up to 70 innings, it's going to be a pretty exciting season, I think, for Noah Schultz. But it's all about that innings load. He's a definite top 100 everywhere. I think this is the lowest anybody has him. Um, But the the write-up's fine. Like, nobody should be concerned over like where he's actually ranked, just the fact that he burst onto the scene like he did is uh it, it's it's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean everybody's over the moon with the production that they saw out of him last year. It's just the fact that there was only twenty seven innings of it. So yeah. the fact that he's in well, the how, top one hundred, all good. How about that high school pitching class? Like Noah Schultz, Jackson Ferris Robbie Snelling with the Padres and Dylan Lesko with the Padres. All four of them went, what, like top 50 or so. And they're all on top 100 lists. Like, they're all pretty good. And, look, it's the riskiest demographic that there is, right? Yep. And not so much from the left side, but high school righties. I mean, you've seen it. Like, they're, it's a pretty low hit rate. Um, but there's four good ones from that class from a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much one of those things that if – Teams go in and find out who Vanderbilt's re- looking after. Mm. Yeah, that's that's the guy that you want to draft, and you go yeah. ahead and draft him, and they're generally going to be pretty good. They might not, uh, you know, ascend all the way to Major League Baseball, and you know, when it comes to the end of things, but uh, they're all generally pretty talented. Yeah, they um, were supposed to have Schultz and Lesko, I think, right? Yes. Yeah, I think that's yeah. the t- I think that's a, the two. Yeah. I'd have to look that's again, a, but I think that's the commits. Yeah. That's a rough night for Corbin, I bet, man. That's uh, <laughs> that's brutal. Not not so happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, let's move on to the James Fox 2024 mock draft oh. V 1.0. Uh, do you just want to hop straight to uh, pick number five, or do you want to try and uh, play the lottery yeah, I, and pick number one through four? <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to give it all away, but I mean, look, it's super early, so I'm going to preface all of this with that. Um, you know, like the college season just started. I think if you kind of look on MLB Pipeline and Baseball America and everybody else that ranks players, they all have kind of some of the same guys. I will say it's a it's a pretty college-heavy class. Like, at the top, like as of now, it's it's not teeming with, with prep talent like some of the past years. Um, so, you know, that's something that's, could be good or bad, just, you know, kind of depending on the way that you look at things, you know, I I feel like some people would rather be safe and take a college guy, but to me, like, I want the highest upside prep guy I can get. So, you know, in my first mock, I went Connor Griffin, who's a center fielder out of Jackson prep in, in Mississippi, um, the six foot four, 205 pound 
outfielder. He can definitely stay in center field. He reclassified from 2025 or from the 2025 class. So he's super young. Um, so, you know, just like toolsy center fielder, hits right-handed. That's the way I, I chose to go. I know that the, you know, the White Sox have been in to see him. It would be Warren Hughes again, Ian. I, I put that in, in my, my article. Warren got their I guy. four. Warren got four of the first five picks last year. I think it was more coincidence than anything, but he's down in that Mississippi, Louisiana area. So he would get another one here if I'm correct a few months from now. Yeah. And, you know, just for people that don't know much about him, this guy plays center field. He can also play third base, shortstop. He pitches right handed. He's got up to a 95 mile an hour fastball. He throws from center field. Uh, he's been gunned at like 97 out of center field, throwing back into the infield. Uh, he hits tanks. He's fast. Dude's big and strong. This would be a, mm-hmm. you know, uh, pretty much if he's if he's available, I would hope that that would be kind of the, the yeah. way that they would go unless he absolutely tanks this season, which yeah. I seriously well, doubt. Well, and I know, like, people are, like, people, like again, with the trusting of the White Sox thing, right? But, like, if Mike Shirley wants to take a high school guy, I think I'm going to let him at this point, like, based on the two guys that we've been ta- kind of talking about all night, right? And Colson Montgomery and, and Noah Schultz. Spill all the beans. I don't have all the beans. I know that they've been in to see him, but that's kind of it. I mean, everything I know I put in the article, um... It it really is a long time from now, and money matters and all that. I what I the other thing that I'll say is, and this isn't like breaking news. If you look at this class, one of the best players is a power hitting first baseman. <laughs> he's getting, he's getting Jim Tomey comps, Ian, um, no. Nick Kurtz. I know, like we're we're comparing guys to Hall of Famers again. And but... we've already talked about this Wake Forest thing. No. Yes, we have. 30, <laughs> 30, 39 pumps in two seasons. He'll probably hit 20-some more. You don't want to take a first baseman that high. But even, like, the top two guys might be big league second baseman. And, look, J.J. Weatherhold of West Virginia can really, really hit, and he's going to play short this year. But, like, a lot of people think that's a big league second baseman. Same thing with Travis Bezana. It's kind of the same profile. Another lefty hitter who was great on the Cape. He's going to hit, but... It's just second base that high is just not something that I'm particularly interested in. I'd say probably the only way Bazana would be drafted by the White Sox if he's still available is if Liam Hendricks is in the draft room. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I personally really enjoy his game, and you know, I, I've seen uh, some stuff that he's done analytically for his college teammates, and it's awesome. And his prep work is insane, and his his uh, his fundamentals are fantastic. But uh, I don't know. It's a it's a I don't know that that position that yep. same thing again. I don't. They can't you you can't scout the uniform in, but they can't go Oregon State again. I don't think they can do it. Like yeah, I it's <laughs> it's too risky, and you know, like I don't know if the power is going to translate. I know he's done well in the co- in a Cape Cod, but I mean, it's mm-hmm. still yeah, it's it's I'm scared, I, and I'm, I don't I'm a little bit hurt still. I don't think the White Sox would be afraid to go pitching. Um, and, and this typically happens like in college baseball, right? Like if you look right now, like your top pitcher, you know, is um, Chase Burns of Wake Forest. 
but even there's like a lot of reliever risk there. And there's some other guys that are projected in like the teens. A couple of those guys are going to be lock like top 10 guys. Like they just are. It's the way the college baseball season goes. There'll be some guys that you're not really thinking of. Like Paul Skeens was not projected to be the number one pick last year at this time. So somebody will take off. This will look a lot different. We'll have you covered. It's just, you know, it's February. It is super, super early. Yeah, the number one pick that everybody thought was going to be last year, number one college pitcher, is Chase Dolander, Dolander, who the White Sox had his brother, uh, Hunter, uh, in their minor league system. Uh, I don't know if he's still with us this year or not. I haven't looked, but uh, I think think he is, but I could be wrong. Yeah, and Chase Dolander ended up the third pitcher off the board going ninth to Colorado. So, you know, it's just... Solid pick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> lucky, lucky to get that one back there. Um, so moving along, uh, the White Sox announced a couple of international signings. One who was already known about um, uh, Alexander, uh, is Alexander Veldivienzo or Viezo uh, out of Venezuela, but they also announced uh, Orlando Suarez and a new name that I had not heard, which is shortstop out of Venezuela as well, uh, which I'm going to butcher this uh, pronunciation. I'm, I'm a stickler about the pronunciations of these names, but Joanjel uh, Suarez, that's as close as I think I'm going to come until I hear uh, yeah. something else about Javier Magoyan, you know, Mogollon, you Mogollon, know, yeah. yeah. Uh, but that's, uh, have you heard anything on these guys at all? Uh, so Orlando Suarez, yes. Like a couple of weeks ago, Ben Badler posted him as like one of the sleepers of the White Sox class. So I think what, do you have his, his amounts like over 300 K, right? It was something like yeah, that. Yeah, I thought it was 350. Said. Yeah. Yeah. 350. So, yeah. So my guess is that's the top pitcher in their class. Um, so just like a point of reference there, like Christian Mena, a guy who, a lot of people didn't really want to see the White Sox trade signed for 250k out of the Dominican like some years back. So, like you could really get impact with pitching um, for low dollar amounts because they just they sign for cheap because of when they agree to these deals. Like they're just underdeveloped and then they kind of turn into big monsters sometimes. And this guy, I think, it, you know, I don't have the Badler right up in front of me, but it's mid nineties, um, you know, he's, he's really kind of taken off a little bit. So, you know, once the White Sox announce all the signings, I will write something, um, about all these guys, but I'd prefer to have like actual Marco Patty quotes, like about some of them and why they wanted to sign some of these players. So I'm not just like regurgitating scouting reports, but yeah, I think he's, he's probably the interesting one of the group, but they've had some low dollar hits the last couple of years. Yeah, it was 25k off. It is uh 375k. So Okay, yeah. Uh, so the other Suarez was uh 80k and then uh Valdeviezo was uh 100k. Yeah. So Yeah, added to their so I think they've announced seven signings so far. Eduardo Herrera, the big one obviously for 1.8 million. Um, you know, there was another Venezuelan power hitter, Jesus Primoli, was like 550. <clears throat> and then the two guys from Curacao um, one of them, Jerickson Profar's younger brother, was like 700k. So, um, apparently there's there's more signings. Um, Francis Romero, great Dominican reporter, awesome follow. He, uh, you know, is the one that broke like the 
the bonus amounts on some of these. He's under the impression that they have a few signings coming from the Dominican Republic, so we'll see how quickly that gets announced. And then the other Venezuelan signings, who we know the names from Ben Badler at Baseball America, those should be any day this week too. So, you know, hopefully they get at least the first part of this class announced and actually like talk about some of these guys because they're going to be playing in the Dominican Summer League pretty soon. Yeah, that's always the the adventure. You find out that they get signed, and uh, the, you know they're already have they they're already suited up in the Dominican League. You know they announce it like a day before the first pitch mm-hmm. over there. Super aggravating. Um, so uh, let's move over to the major league club. Uh, we've spent this entire time talking about uh, prospect stuff. Uh, we still will be sort of uh, because we are going to talk about the NRI list that just came out. Um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, bring that up here in one second. Um, anything surprising to you? I know that uh, they invited a bunch of guys uh, that are not on the 40-man to come up. Yeah. Uh, do you want to start there? Yeah, so I'm not really surprised by any of like the prospect names. The one thing I want to point out that I always point out because I always get questions on it. So anybody on the 40-man is in big league spring training. You know, I know for Ian, probably you and I, like we, we kind of know that, but – I think people kind of take it for granted. Like I heard, hey, where's Jake Eater? You know, Jake Eater's on the 40-man. So they don't have to announce him, you know, as somebody that they've invited to spring training because he's on, you know, Brian Ramos, Jose Rodriguez, those guys. Those guys will all be there in addition to the guys that Ian has kind of up on the screen. I will say some of these NRIs, yeah, some of of these NRIs, um, you know, they've been leaking out kind of weekly where we'd mention on this show or – other uh, White Sox blogger podcasters would be like, oh, they signed this guy, you know, like, um, you know, weeks ago or, or so. But, you know, they, they've all been kind of announced by the team. So, yeah. So I just managed to get them up after you just got yeah, through all that stuff. You know, um, yeah. That's... So, uh, yeah. So we got Jonathan Cannon, Jordan Leisure, Nick Nostrini, Edgar Navarro, Nick Padilla, and Lane Ramsey. Uh, left-handed pitchers, we got Kai Bush and Frazier Ellard, one of my personal favorites. Um, Adam Hackenberg, Carlos Perez, and Edgar Caro, and Tim Elko coming up, yeah. the big man. Uh, Colson Montgomery and Zach Remillard. I know uh, Tim Elko, Beef's a big fan of uh, Tim Elko and really wants But t- he wants him to play in Charlotte all this year because he's hoping to see him hit 50 home runs in, in Charlotte, which would be hilarious, but uh, – I could stand seeing him do a little bit of that up in uh, up with the White Sox personally, but uh, that's the what, uh, what what number will be higher the number of home runs in Charlotte or the the K rate in Charlotte? Hmm. You know, because uh, even in Birmingham it was thirty five percent in Birmingham. Yeah, you know, and see, here's the thing, and um, I know that's that's been one thing that a lot of people have talked about, but if you have listened to interviews with him he says that he doesn't want to take case or he doesn't want to take walks because he feels that he's up there to do damage so he's up there trying to put a hurt on the ball and uh you know if that's if that's the case you know i'm i'm there for it you know i i would love to see him go out there and put a hurt on the ball and i can take the low walk thing i think that the uh there's going to be a little bit rework of the approach there but I think he's got a fairly he's got a pretty good bat to ball skill, so I don't think that it's it was uh, 
you know, the fact that he was just way overmatched when he went to Birmingham, I think, you know, it being his first full season and playing so many games. Uh, and meanwhile, also s- starting to try and crush the ball all the time, that that's probably part of the uh, part of the equation there. Yeah, and he played three levels, right? Didn't they start him in Canny? Yep. And it was no – A-ball was no match for Tim Elko. Like yeah, it, he it was he, just he, ridiculous. Yeah, he stopped playing there in June, I want to say, and the end of the year he was tied for home runs in mm-hmm. A-ball still. So – uh, yeah, yeah, that guy's got some nice power there. Um, so moving to the other free agents that signed, uh, you've got Justin Anderson, Joe Barlow, Jake Cousins, Chad Cool, and Jake Woodford. And you've got Chucky Robinson, um, which that one totally caught me out of left field. I was not expecting a Chucky Robinson signing. Um, we also have a Danny Mendick sighting. He is back with the White Sox organization. Uh, Rafael Ortega, Mark Payton, Brett Phillips, and Kevin Pillar. Yeah. So, so you know, I have an article about this up on the site. So there's a name that I think is definitely making the team that's not on this list, and that's Jesse Chavez. Um, yeah. They announced it after they announced uh, these. True. Jesse Chavez yeah. Jesse Chavez is 40. Um, he won he was this season? Re- maybe, yeah. He was yeah. really good in Atlanta last year, like really good. And the White Sox bullpen is really really bad so like i think he's uh i think he's probably on the team if he wants to be is my guess and then you know i think with the way kevin pilar has been talked about you know he seems like the obvious fourth outfielder and platoon partner for dominic fletcher and right field so i think those two are definitely on the team and then who knows like joe barlow i think has a chance like after some you know he pitched well in texas in the past but there's a lot of bullpen arms so you know, and there's not a ton of 40-man space. So I think he's an option, but, you know, not super confident. And then Danny Mendick. I mean, I think Danny Mendick would only sign here, you know, if he thought he had a chance at the utility job. And I think he would be in contention for that with Zach Remillard and, you know, guys that are already on the 40-man. Jose Rodriguez, Lenny and Sosa, Braden Shoemake, guys like that. But, you know, they're all right-handed hitters, and Nicky Lopez is a lefty kind of like we talked about earlier. So... I would say Danny Mendick probably has a shot as well. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I I like that they brought Danny Mendick back. I thought that he had, uh, he, you know, he had a rough year last year with uh, with the Mets, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't think he was fully healthy during the season. And I know that he also played sporadically. Uh, me and my kids saw him when they were playing the Royals, and he had a great game when we were down there. It must have just been the White Sox mojo, but uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, we'll well, he had a he typical played. he had a typical season for Syracuse though. Yeah, his triple A. Like line he was, was fine. fine. He was good yeah. and tri- right. Yeah, like just like he's always kind of been. Yep. Um, so and I didn't realize. Sorry to cut you off. No, like, you're good. I I didn't realize like how good his numbers were in 2022, the year he got hurt. Very good. Yep. Like, yeah, you know, put, and I know he was like on a little bit of a tear. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. I mean, if he does that, because really. You know, I know we're talking platoons, but I mean, if you only played him against lefties, I mean, I, I, he can hit left-handed pitching. So, you know, if you don't overexpose him and Nicky Lopez holds his own, it might be the best production they've had at second base in a while. Man, that is that hurts. Brutal, I know. Yeah. Um, so, 
here's somebody that is not on these uh n- not on this tweet here but um on the 40 man that you and I have talked about a little bit is uh Garrett Crochet. Mhm. Ooh, there's Grimtall. Thanks for the resubscribe. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. I yes. thought Tim Anderson just signed somewhere when I saw him <laughs> up here. Like, Absolutely like, not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Still asking for that uh, starting shortstop money, $25 million a year. Well, I mean, the Marlins like made a trade for Tom Gordon's kid instead, so he must be asking for real money still. Yeah, either that or just everybody's kind of – Kind of over it, you know. I don't yeah. know. We'll see. We'll see when uh, when the season starts. See if he manages to get an NRI at this point. That that would be that would be something right there to see him go all the Who way down saw, to do you, that. Do you do you think anybody saw Yasmani Grandal signing before Tim Anderson did? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Did he sign with Pittsburgh? Is that what yeah, that happened? Yeah. Oh, yeah. My. I mean, they've got you know they got a couple of guys over there in Pittsburgh. This, I mean, it's not a foregone conclusion that he's even going to be good enough to make that team, either. Right, and I think the one the one catcher's out for the year, but um, Davis is catching. I think Henry Davis is, but so he doesn't have to change his Twitter handle. Yeah, well, yeah, it's possible. Is, yeah, the longer TA seven. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, they they have. I I don't remember that other, but yeah, they have like two catching prospects. One of them got hurt in like winter league, I think. Um, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. I yeah, about right. That. He's got but, like a torn UCL, right? Yeah, he's done for the year. But then, but um, but Henry Davis is there, and I think will be catching. So, yeah, it's, who uh, knows? It's Maybe it's a lot of say. DH and first base time for Yaz. I mean, I, I'd like to see him do well. I just don't yeah. think he's gonna. Uh, I love so, that city. I'll probably see him. So. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. I'll make my way to PNC for sure. If I, if I, if I absolutely, if I can, I, I want yeah. to. But there's other yeah. places I still need to hit over there. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, so one of the guys that we were talking about, now, Garrett Crochet. What on earth was uh, so? Chris Getz had a a little presser today, and uh, I don't have the quote up in front of me. Uh, but mm-hmm. you want to go ahead and give the gist of what. Uh, what the Garrett Crochet stuff is about? Yeah. So, I mean, I think I tweeted earlier that Chris Getz is lying because he's lying about something. Like, you know, like they, they want to honor – so he goes into the whole thing where they want to, like, honor Garrett Crochet's wishes of starting, which, like, I actually kind of agree with. Like, let's let's take a look and see. Um, but then he said, like, the expectation is that Garrett Crochet will make the club, like the White Sox club. Um which doesn't make any sense, Ian. Like, I, I don't, like, he's, it's one or the other. Like, either he's going into your bullpen um, in a high-leverage role of some sort, whatever, and he's going to be on the White Sox, or he's going to be starting, and it's got to be in the minors. I just, I, I don't understand what they're talking about. I don't know if Getz was caught off guard, if he doesn't understand, if he's lying or what, you know, on purpose. I, I I, I don't get it. I, I don't understand it all. So I don't know what the best course of action is. Um, you know, I've long been somebody who has said, like, ah, screw it, like, let him start if he wants to. But that has to be done in the minor leagues if they're going to do it. Absolutely. I, yeah, if if he is going to be combative about it, which I don't know if he is. I'm just throwing yeah. this out there. If he wants to be combative about it, that he's, I'm a starter, that's fine. 
you can do that, but you're not going to be doing it with the major league club because we have multiple other guys that have innings bases that have better pitch command, uh, better pitch selection. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It, to me, it just seems like a, a foregone conclusion that either he's a reliever with the White Sox or he's starting in the minor leagues. There's, there's no, there's no in between there. Well, I think you could make like the value argument. Like if the White Sox were to turn Garrett Crochet into their closer, um, to trade him at midseason, right? For like some turbo like return or something. Like I get that, but like I don't think just sticking him in the bullpen is necessarily the best thing for his career. And I don't think that it's what he would think either, right? Like if somebody out there thinks Garrett Crochet can start, I mean, you know, I, I'm pretty sure he's gonna want to start. I mean, there's more money involved in starting. Like even if he's like a back end starter, you know, and it's just and also like the thirteen the thirteen pitcher rule basically makes it impossible for you to like keep him in some sort of like role where he's piggybacking every however many days. Like you just you can't do it and you don't have enough pitchers with options. Like it's just it's it's crazy. He he needs to be like starting in Birmingham if he's a starter. That first month of Garrett Crochet was electric. And I love the leg kick. I love the flare. I think yeah. it's awesome. But I have said over and over and over again, 96-mile-an-hour Garrett Crochet is not good enough for him as a starter, probably, because he doesn't have the pitch mix. And 96-mile-an-hour Garrett Crochet is not going to get it done as a closer either. He needs something, something else. Something needs to change. He needs to either get some of that velocity back or if you're going to keep that velocity, you're going to have to build an, in- an innings base. That's the only way he's going to be able to, to to get back to being useful, in my opinion. Right. No, I mean, it makes total sense. I mean, he's fastball slider, right? If he goes into the rotation, he's going to have to at least try to throw the third pitch. Um, if he's in the bullpen, he's going to be fastball slider. And if the fastball's not a hundred, I just don't know that his stuff is good enough to, you know, pitch in high leverage role. So completely understand. You know, look, they thought Mike Shirley thought he was drafting a starter. Um, it's not his fault that they just like saw what they saw in Schaumburg and hiked him up to the major league team. And look, I don't even really blame them for that in twenty twenty. Yeah, no. I blame them for I blame them big time for twenty twenty one though. When Tony LaRouche gets, you know, sees this kid and he's like oh, I need him to be my loogie, essentially. Like, that's where it went wrong. That kid should have been in the minor leagues, you know, starting, but not necessarily, you know, even if it was like a multi-inning role, right? Like, having him out of the big league bullpen in his first full season going one inning at a time was the worst possible thing that they could do. But, you know, when Tony LaRusso is running your organization, that those are the types of decisions that are made. Yeah, it. I mean, it kind of gives me those uh, coming back from uh, TJ Zach Birdie vibes, you know, where there's mm-hmm. just there's there's not movement on the fastball and the velocity is not where it was before. So he still thinks that he can get away with the things that he could get away with when he was throwing 101, and it's just not happening, you know, with a 96 mile an hour fastball, especially if you're not locating, you know, with that teacup fastball that uh, Grim mentioned earlier. So. 
Um, do you have anything else this week? Anything uh, that you want to bring up? Anything important? No, not, nothing pressing. I mean, we're going to get all the, the, the quotes about um, best shape of their life guys and stuff. I can't wait. It's uh, spring training. I notoriously like hate spring training. I, I don't like fake sports. Like I hate preseason football too. It's just like, I, I don't know, but like, I know spring training is necessary. I just, after about a week, I'm, I'm kind of done. Like, I, you know, like I'll do the prospect stuff and like doing this show, but like big league spring training, the players hate it. There's none of it really matters that much. Just don't get hurt. That's, that's like the biggest thing. Don't yeah. get hurt. Yeah. I'm fine with the big league guys hating it. They can go away. Cause yeah. I'll watch, yeah. you know, the, the pitching, they want to get the pitching ready. Go ahead and bring the, yeah. the top of the line pitching out. We'll send our prospects out there, and I want to see them get get at bats against top of the line pitching, even yeah. if it's in Arizona where the ball doesn't move, and uh, you know where the ball goes a hundred miles. I'd still like to at least be able to see that part of the equation there. Yeah, what's your what, what's your biggest uh, spring spring training battle right now that you you have you're focused on, Ian? The bullpen battle with fifty names. Alex uh, Spees throwing 102. So I mean, I I, I do want to see that, and I want to see how. Uh, more more importantly, I want to see how his command is. I want to see how uh, Perlander Baroa's command is. I want to see how Jordan Leisure handles it. You know, granted, he was just in the Arizona Fall League, and you know, he had a 50 percent strikeout rate. So clearly, he has Arizona. And he's doing okay. He's figured yeah. that whole thing out. But I yeah. want to see the other guys and see how the command goes and uh uh we'll see. We'll see. Um so uh I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. Oh, let him Nistrini? start and get a was year it, of control. Was the question about Nick Nestrini? Yeah, Nick Pastrami. Nick Pastrami, uh, yeah. Make the team. <laughs> so so I kind of think all the prospects are going to start in Charlotte, even like the relief prospects, like Leisure, oh, Baroa, yeah. because I just think there's so many like vets that they'll just have on the opening day roster that you could just discard quickly if they're bad, that they'll just kind of like not screw around with it. Like, you know, like, yeah, Nestrini could be in the rotation, but like they need Chris Flexen to start, you know, like just th those types of like little things where guys are just going to be there and and pitching and playing so yeah it's a, you know i saw today scott merkin had his his first uh like mock opening day lineup or opening day roster and i'm sure others will come out with it you know just like a couple of small things guys like jimmy lambert and davy garcia both out of options you know like all the i always like to look at the guys with options because that's you got a rule five guy on this team you know, so it, it kind of just like maybe could help formulate your thoughts and opinions on who makes the team right out of the gate. Yeah, I would like them to be able to keep uh, David Garcia as well. Um, it's got some really nasty yeah. stuff, but I I think that it's just one of those things that you have to limit exposure into the right spots and all that stuff mm -hmm. until he kind of gets himself comfortable. Now, leisure. Alex uh, Alex B is a guy's with he's got two options. Yeah, see now like so. him. And uh, and Baroa, those guys I could see starting in AAA. I would be surprised if Leisure starts in AAA. But, I mean, you know, stranger things have happened. And I don't know if I could handle a start of a major league season without Chris Flexen starts. So I see where you're coming from there. 
futuresocks.net uh james has got a bunch of content that he puts up out there uh including coming up soon is uh, or is it out already the uh the mock draft did we put that one out seven o'clock that- tuesday morning all right tuesday morning that one's coming out um so tomorrow morning yes tomorrow morning uh and then in a week and a half we'll also have uh our top 30s hopefully coming out um we also uh, later on tonight there'll be uh, actually tomorrow morning there'll be uh, another podcast the uh, the roundup will be coming out as well um, so there's a bunch of stuff going on over there um, my name is Ian Eskridge at Daily White Sox he's James Fox James Fox nine one seven Future Sox at Future Sox on the Twitter uh, head over uh, you can. S- uh, support us on Patreon if you feel like it. Uh, also, you can find this in audio-only form. You can also find it in video form if you are so inclined on our YouTube channel. Please go and check that out. Subscribe and uh, tell your friends about it. We'd appreciate that. Uh, you can find this podcast anywhere you like to get your podcast from. We thank you guys so much for coming and watching tonight and hanging out. Um, if you have any questions, feel free to hop in the chat any time we're streaming and go ahead and shoot those questions over we appreciate you guys you guys have a great night and we'll talk to you guys next week thanks bye